Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, we have Jay Chandrasekhar, and I am so excited. This is one of, if not... My favorite episodes we've done on this show. I am so grateful to Jay for coming on. You know him from Super Troopers, Beer Fest. We're here to talk about his new film, Easter Sunday, as well as his new app, Vouch Fault, which you can download from the application store. Please do that right now. It is incredible. We dig into exactly how that app works more in the interview. But Jay's been a real hero of mine. I saw Super Troopers when I was 10, and it changed my life. This interview means so much to me because it really encompasses what it means to not have anything going for you, make it all happen, writing, directing, acting, editing, and Jay has done it all, and he continues to blow me away. Easter Sunday is an outstanding film. Thank you, Universal Studios, for making this happen. I really love the film. Please make sure you see it. Download Vouch Fault. Jay, I got so much love for you. I hope we get a chance to do this again one day. All right, guys, here it is. Jay Chandrasekhar, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing? How are you, Ryan? Uh, it's so great to have you on, man. I uh, wanted to save this for when we started recording. It's like, you've been such a hero of mine, you know? Um, you know the Super Troopers, it's hard to believe I was 10 when that came out, and uh the movie changed my life. And I think the beautiful thing <laughs> about comedies, man, is, is they're, they're, they're shot at immortality. And they're one of the few things left, especially in today's age, that like unites people. It brings people together. You know, it's something that we can all just laugh and have a good time. And, you know, I'm an actor, but I did, you know, my share of directing growing up. And, and that film was such an impetus for me of like being able to create your own content, you know, at that time that was so rare because it was still like you had to raise $5 million. You had to get into Sundance and that film, I like, there's so few viewing experiences I remember in my life. And that was just one of the best experiences of my life. And I followed your career ever since then. So I just want to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. Um, it needs a lot. So it was, uh, I mean, I guess we'll get to it, but, um, yeah, yeah. Wait, so wait, you grew up in Chicago, right? I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, Hinsdale. Uh, and I um, went to high school in another suburb of Chicago called Lake Forest Academy, where I was a boarding student. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, so, yeah. My dad grew up in Elgin. I don't know if that's any close at yeah, all. Yeah, it's sort of uh, on the way to Lake Forest. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And what was that experience like? You know, because obviously Second City's there and, you know, all that will probably come later. But did you have an idea of the theater and kind of comedy background that Chicago had to offer? I mean, you know, I was a big Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live fan like everybody else. And I was aware that Second City had been um, – you know, the primary feeder for the original cast of Saturday Night Live. So, it, you know, Belushi was from Chicago uh, and Aykroyd was yeah, obviously from Canada. But I mean, it was it was part of the city's um, pride that 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 we had a, a com comedy scene that was uh, so central to the, to the country's comedy scene. 
Totally. And, and, and were your parents artists or? No, they were, uh, my dad, uh, was, uh, is, uh, he's a retired lung disease doctor. And my mom is a, uh, retired radiologist. Wow. Okay. So then how did this kind of, uh, you know, like who curated the arts for you? Were you like watching SNL with your parents or where did this path start to emerge for you? I mean, I, I watched it with my friends. I watched SNL. I watched uh, Monty Python. I, you know, my friends, older brothers showed us the Holy Grail. And, oh, man. Um, the best. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, I connected with it just like anybody else did. But, but um, I was separately, uh, I, I, I was separately kind of a funny kid, I suppose. Like I yeah. was going for laughs a lot dressing up in, you know, my mom's furs and high heels and, you know, just whatever, just cracking a lot of jokes. And so, yeah. uh, but, you know, there was no sense of, uh, 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 of a career. There was no sense of a career in anything. Maybe I thought maybe I'd be a heart surgeon because I'd seen it on MASH. Uh, yeah. uh, I saw, you know, Alan Alda massage a heart and had to come back to <laughs> oh, life. And I'm like, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, ultimately, you know, I was a freshman in high school and, you know, freshman boys in high school don't have it that easy. And I didn't really, I wasn't really landing on anything and I wasn't really loving the place. And my sister was uh, the place, older. meaning the high school Lake forest Academy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my sister was two years older. was like, why don't you join the play? She goes, I'm in the play. I'm a, I'm a, uh, in the chorus of the play and you can meet a lot of people and it's fun. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, what am I going to do? Be in a play? Like it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I was like, why would I be in a play? And I'm like, ah, screw it. I'll do it. So I, I went and auditioned for the play and I figured, you know, I'd get in the chorus or whatever. And do you remember uh, what it was? No, but they, didn't, okay. they I didn't get cast. Oh, um, and I was pissed. I was like, you know, you, you, you let everybody in. I mean, I didn't, yeah. even, I didn't want it. Yeah. I didn't want it. I was just yeah. pissed that they didn't give it to me. Cause I'm like, I mean, in the, even the thing that they let everybody in, I'm not, I'm not good enough. And it was that, that rage that has fueled me my whole career, not just the rage about that play, but the rage about show business. Like, uh, and it's, it continues, you know, look, I, I've made sometimes something like nine or 10 movies. I've directed 150 episodes of television. Yeah. I've done stand up for her just for laughs. Some of the 30 years. And I still act. I tell my friends, I'm like, you know, people say I can't make this movie, but I'll show them. And they're like, nobody said you couldn't make it. Everybody <laughs> said, everybody knows you're going to make it. I'm like, no, nah, but people don't think I can make it. I'm like, oh, I'll make it. And it's this, it's this fury at being, you know, not included, which is not true yeah. anymore. <laughs> but yeah. it's what it still gets me going. You know, that, like I'm writing is- a novel and I'm like, they said I couldn't write a novel. And I wrote it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll show you. I, it's important for me, this this um, fantasy person who keeps telling me I can't do things. It's It's important to my progress 
I think, you know, for some people it can be crippling, but for similar to myself, you know, it can be the, the thing that ignites us, you know, even when things like, I, I'm sorry, I got this trash beard right now. I just, I'm, I'm booking, I booked a show that I got to film next week nice. that requires it. But uh, yeah, it's like, even now I still feel like, yeah, I got, I got to prove them wrong. I really, you know, I got to prove them that I I'm, I'm the one, you know, so I totally relate to that. And I'm, I'm curious then what made you not, walk away from drama like I, you came back obviously at some well point. i was i was so annoyed that i uh auditioned for the next play um and that play was brigadoon it was a scottish uh like drama where it was a musical and i and i not only got in the chorus i i, I had a line i wow. sang a line in that play and you know, I, I tended to say things uh, even in a drama and I would get laughs. <laughs> and I don't know if that meant I was a bad dramatic actor or I was just a compelling actor. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I enjoyed it. Like I did it and I'm like, that was fun. And of course, the competitive part of me ignited and I and I started auditioning for all the plays. And soon I was the lead in all the plays. Like um eventually I you know me and a couple other actors we were the, we were the leads. Uh and so when I grad graduated I went to Colgate University um I started auditioning for the plays there and I was you know again I was sort of the, the lead in a lot of those plays. Um so it you know once I once I understood what theater was all about out and I was in death of a salesman and all these things. I, I really, you know, it felt like, um, uh, it felt like the right kind of thing for a guy like me to do. That's beautiful. And, and, and do you feel like in high school, that's where that awakening of like, you know, talked about freshmen, not knowing like, Oh, this is, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm interested in this. I like this. Well, it wasn't realistically, it wasn't realistic to do it at, in when, right. when I was in high school, I'm like, there's no, I mean, it didn't even occur to me, even though I was acting. I mean, I even went down, we were, the uh, Martin Scorsese was shooting a film called The Color of Money in Chicago, starring Paul Newman and Tom Cruise, and they needed extras. And so they called our uh, school and our, and our acting teacher took us down and we were extras in the movie. And I got to watch Scorsese and Newman and Cruz like shooting all these pool scenes and uh, it was supposed to be Atlantic City it was in Chicago oh, wow. and um, I'm in the movie uh, and it was thrilling to watch but I didn't really know what the hell was going on like I yeah. was kind of watching it and there were, there were like these huge delays in between while they lit and you're like what's happening there but we were just sitting there watching it because we were the crowd at a pool hall uh, not a pool hall, pool tournament. So it was oh, like, okay. there was a thousand people there. Um, and it was, um, you know, there was a scene where Tom Cruise quits the tournament, or no, uh, Paul Newman quits the tournament. He walks by a crowd and we're all supposed to go, what? You know, <laughs> and, uh, we did that for eight hours. That's um, awesome. And I still didn't know what the hell was going on. I just saw... Scorsese and Tom Cruise and Paul Newman all huddling and whispering to each other and laughing. And then they'd get out and they'd shoot something. And I'm like, I got to get into that conversation. Somehow I got to be in that conversation. And um, I eventually realized uh, that, that I was there. 
Like I am now in that conversation all the time. Yeah. I'm on sets whispering and chatting with the main actors and I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then you got to do this. And we light it, you know, like I'm in that conversation now and it's uh, as good as I thought it was going to be. Oh man. That, I needed to hear that. Thank you for that. That's so beautiful. And so then getting to Colgate, you know, you, you mentioned and you've hinted before at comedy, you know, was there an improv troupe there or is that where Broken Lizard, st- like you decided to create that? There was nothing. There was just uh, university theater, which I uh, auditioned for um, and was it. Uh, and then a friend of mine named Jonathan Glatzer, who now writes for Succession, um, he started a thing called the Kinetic Theater Group. And that was a student run theater group that competed with the university theater. And it was a little more avant-garde and pretty exciting. And, um, and I was in a couple of those plays in the first year that it was created. Um, and when the second year of Kinetic Theater Group, Jonathan Glasser had to go to London to, um, do a semester abroad and he wanted to keep his theater group that he created going. And so he asked four of us to do one act plays under the kinetic theater banner. Um, Original works or. Well, no, I mean, they were whatever plays. Let me back up. My junior year, I went, uh, you know, at, at Colgate one semester of your junior year, most people go abroad and they do a thing in London or Paris or, Moscow, wherever, right? I went to Chicago um, and I said, you know, I've, I've had a lot of success as a, as a theater actor, but, you know, I, I, I got to decide whether I'm going to give show business a try. And I'm like, you know, I can make my friends laugh all the time, but they know me, right? So I was like, you know, if I can make strangers laugh in Chicago, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give show business a try. So I went to Chicago. I signed up for this. My friend was in this thing called the Improv Olympic, which was a spinoff of Second City. It was like uh, these 40-minute, fully improvised shows. Second City is actually just, it's sketch that they improvise on top of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been there once. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's great, yeah. but it's that's what it is. The Improv Olympic was, the suggestion is hot dog. And then you do 45 minutes on whatever you think of based on that hot dog. Wow. Uh, and so I was in a class with, uh, you know, Chris Farley. Uh, it was, it was no way. It was a class where they put beginners with experts and he was an expert. I was a beginner. Uh, uh, this guy, Dave Keckner. I mean, there were all these. Yeah, Dave, like, I, I loved it. I, yeah. Dave is like the hero mind, the best. So I, I was yeah. 19 and I was hanging out with these dudes and partying quite a bit. And, um, and, uh, they were in the best group, improv group in the country, uh, Beer Shark Mice. I was in the worst improv group in the country because we just started and we were terrible. I mean, like we would do these 40 minute shows where I don't know. I don't think they ever left. Who and, who and we was the up, audience just like the, the, the poor suckers who paid to watch this. I mean, <laughs> we were up there bombing and uh struggling and uh uh, and and I can tell you this: my test of did I make strangers laugh? It wasn't ha- it wasn't working. So I was like, well, that is not that doesn't work. And I thought, you know, if that's my ability, then then I'm not going to do it. But I said, you know, I have a feeling 
I'm not done yet. So I wrote 10 minutes of stand-up and I signed up for a open mic uh, on a Monday night yeah. uh, at a place called The Matchstick. And I went up and I did my 10 minutes. I'm so nervous I raced through it in five minutes, but I got laughs. laughs. Wow. I got strangers laughs. And I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I went back to Colgate and I was bragging about what a big, great improviser I was and how I knew Chris Farley. And that part was true. But I'm and he like, was I, already who he was Chris at this had point. gone into Second City and then it jumped over to Saturday Night Live. Very Got quickly. it. So right before uh, the crossover. Yeah, yeah. So people yeah. knew Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live. He was the new guy in Saturday Night Live. I'm like, yeah. I know that guy. Uh, and so I was like trying to pretend like I was, you know, somebody. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, big, I was doing improv with Chris Farley and all this stuff. And so now uh, the Kinetic Theater Group thing happens. And my friend Jonathan, now he's he's going away for his semester. He's a year younger, his semester. Away, he's going to London. So he, he calls four of us and says, hey, will you do a one act play? You know, like. Paul Soder, who's in my group, was going to direct one called The Milkman by Ray Bradbury. And then two other people were going to do um, uh, uh, one-act plays. There was yeah. no comedy group yet, right? So Jonathan said to me, he goes, why don't you do an improv group? Start an improv group, just like all that great improv you were saying you were doing in Chicago. And I was like, yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I will start an improv group. Uh uh, and so I called my friend Kevin Heffernan, who played Farva in the movies. Yeah. And I said, dude, let's start an improv group. We'll uh, do it for the Kinetic Theater Group. Uh, you know, Chris Farley and all that business. And he goes, what are you talking about? We'll start an improv group. And Kevin had done no acting in college. Oh, wow. Uh, I would never act- have guessed time, that. <laughs> last time he acted was uh, uh, as Captain Hook in third grade. Um Man. So he'd done something, but he was third grade, right? I mean, we were now, now we're 19. Yeah. And he goes, I'm not doing a fucking improv group. What are you talking about? No way. He goes, our friends are so cynical. They'll laugh at us. It's not with us. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I called Jonathan. I'm like, we're not doing an improv group. Sorry. And he was like shocked. <laughs> but anyway, so now it's the summer between junior and senior year. Uh, I go to a Grateful Dead show. I camp out. I drop acid. I come back. I'm at my house. I'm like, kind of jelly-headed, and Jonathan Glatzer calls me, and he goes, buddy, I need you to do this improv group. I got three people doing one act, so you're the fourth. I need it. I need you to do it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe I will do it. So I call Heffern, and, and he's a dishwasher in Nantucket, and I'm like, let's do the improv group. I'm like, let's do it. Chris Farley, come on, dude, let's do it. And he goes, I already told you we're not doing it. I'm not doing it. No way. No way I'm not doing it. And I'm like, So I call Jonathan Glatzer. I'm like, we're not doing it. You're right. He's right. I'm not, we're not doing it. So then now I'm back at school. Now it's fall of my senior year. I'm in the, the basement of my fraternity house drinking. And uh, it's Tuesday night, phone rings, pay phone. And some freshman pledge is like, hey, phone's for you. Some dude from London. And I'm like, oh, God. So I pick up the phone. It's Jonathan Glatzer. He goes, you're doing the improv group. It's a done deal. I already made the poster. It's a done deal. I didn't make the poster, but I'm, it's a done deal. Everything's happening. It's happening. And I'm like, fine. And I hang up and I go up to Heffernan's room and I'm like, it's a done deal. We're doing the improv group. We're doing it. And he goes, fine. Fuck you. Fine. <laughs> so now we're doing the improv group. And I go around and I call all my friends who are funny and I, and who are none of them who are actors. Yeah. So they uh, weren't actors. Yeah. Well, two of them. I mean, Paul Soder was an actor. Yeah. Right. But, uh, 
he wasn't even in the original group, and neither was Eric Stolhansky. It was just me, Kevin Heffernan, uh, who I made do it, Steve Lemmy, who had done a jeans commercial uh, <laughs> when he was 15, a breakdancing jeans commercial. Nice. And then, you know, like, a, like a, there was a performance artist. There was a, two, two friends of mine who were really funny women who were not actors. And then this uh, this other woman who who was who was an actor. She was funny. So it was just like I just I just forced them to do it. And um, now we're doing this improv thing, and I'm I'm teaching improv, and I'm like the least qualified person to teach it in the country. And so I'm more like doing these little games, and everyone's like, "Is that funny? I don't know. Is that funny?" Nobody thought it was very funny, and the thing was losing air, losing steam. And I was like, you know what? Let me just tell you something. I'm the fucking worst improviser in the country, and this sucks. Let's not be an improv group. Let's be a sketch group. I mean, we're all like English and history oh. majors. We write 30-page term papers. We can write a three-page sketch. No yeah. problem. Let's create a Saturday Night Live type show. We'll just do sketches. And one of the guys who I cast was a freshman named Ted Griffin who wrote uh, Ocean's 11 uh and uh, the, the george clooney or the frank sinatra one the george clooney one. Oh wow um and uh idle hands he wrote about five or six things yeah ted uh was from los angeles and he goes what if we he goes you want to do a saturday night live thing what if we did short films in between the sketches and i said well that's a great idea because we have these wild, we have these, you know, we have these costumes that were like banana costume and mermaid costume. It's like, we need time to change out of the costumes into the other costumes. I said, we'll show the short films in between. So we'll make three or four of them. And that's what we did. Ted kind of directed them and I kind of directed some. And then we couldn't afford an editor. So we, I had somebody teach me how to edit and I'm kind of learning and figuring it out. And, and then we put on the show. And so now we're, we have this show and we're, 300 seats in this in this uh, sort of little makeshift theater built a stage and um 30 people show up on the first night and we were like all right well you know what it was we it was definitely a funny show like we knew yeah. it was funny the audience was laughing but there were only 30 people so uh what we was the like, capacity okay, well, or the hope 300 oh 300. wow okay okay got it 270 empty seats. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was the Wednesday night show. On uh, Thursday night, there were 300 people there. No uh, on, on Friday, there were 350. On Saturday, there were 400. We were like jamming chairs in, standing room only. And the thing was just took off like a rocket. And we were like, oh, my God, that was so exciting. And at the end, we're like, let's do another show next year. And so we did another show next year. And it was, you know, that that group, it was called Charred Goosebeak, uh, is still going uh, at Colgate now. Like, it's the, the group that I started. Um, and when I moved to New York, we reformed under the name Brooklyn Lizard. And, oh, okay. You know, and, and got it going there. And if you, because people are going to ask me, what were you shooting on at that time? High 8 video. Wow. So it's like uh, it's 8 millimeter video. Yeah like a cassette that big wow that is amazing because nobody yeah. you know people only now are like complaining about their iphones they don't realize how easy they have it you know like it's yeah that's amazing I mean, it was hard it was it was uh it was it was 
much more difficult. Um, you know, we were lighting everything with lamps and, uh, and that sort of thing. So it, it was somewhat crude, but the good news is unlike film, you can actually see what the image looked like on this little window. Okay. And you go, we need more light or whatever. And, you know, like the early films were, were, were videos were not great, but they were funny, but they were not shot well. And as we cut and edited, then each film became more complex and better because we were getting better. I was getting better at it. Um, uh, and I just learned, you know, by trial, by error. And then eventually I'm like, well, you know, I need an insert shot and I need a wide shot and I need this shot, you know, and you can't pause that much in the, in the line. So next time I'm like, you can't take out the pauses. And then, you know, all these things that, that I know really well now, but at the time, I did, there was no film school at Colgate, so there was no one to teach me. It was that just, was my exact question: Is you feel like that was your film school? Like you literally had yeah. to learn, and yeah. and and also like going back to what you were echoing on on studying abroad or studying in Chicago. You know, did that simultaneously achieve like you you're learning directing, if not learned, and then also you made people like three, 400, 450 laugh, you know, did that ignite the flame of I like- mean, it, it, it was, uh, like a, like a, it was like a thunder, the laughter. It was so explosive that it was undeniable to us. Yeah. We were like, we have to do, we have to get that feeling again. Um, but the problem I would say that I was facing was I've taken a bunch of people who are not actors, right? And none of them were thinking about becoming actors for a living, right? They were, eh, we'll go be a lawyer or whatever. We just did it. They did it for me because they were funny and they were my friends. But once they experienced it, they were like, holy shit, this is exciting. Uh, you know, and I convinced some of them to move to New York um, to try it again while they pursued their other careers. And you know, Kevin went to law school. Oh, wow. uh, he's a lawyer, that. uh, you know, the other people, one was becoming a teacher and, you know, it was just, they were not actors. They were like, okay, we'll do it one more year, one more year, one more show. One, and it was like that. So now I was looking, I was like, I'm going to give it a shot as an actor, but, uh, not as a director, because I was like, uh, that seemed and, and not as a comedian either or i was still doing stand-up i you never okay. stopped doing stand-up um okay. uh but i but i was like I, I don't know how i mean being a director was a mystery like yeah i could direct these little short videos but that didn't mean i could direct a film it didn't make yeah. any sense like the jump was the money and the crew and the what are you Studio doing i don't even know and distribution what the exposing yeah. a, the camera the film all that i'm like i don't know how to do that so and i was looking at the acting thing and i was like you know there are no Indians on the screen. I'm um, like, there are the one Indian was Ben Kingsley who was in uh, Gandhi, but the way that movie ended, they weren't going to make a Gandhi too. Right. So, yeah. so um, I was, you know, be the ghost of Gandhi. And that was, and, and the, whenever they had another Indian, they like Peter Sellers in the party or Fisher Stevens in, in short circuit. They oh, Fisher's a, white a, guy. a friend. He's done the podcast twice. Okay, well, yeah. they put Fisher Stevens in brownface, and they yeah, and, 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 and in, in the the robot one, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, short, short, yeah, short circuit, classic. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, uh, I was, and I look, I thought, I thought he did a good job and I thought Peter Sellers did a good job, but um, I, the message I was getting was nobody wants real Indians on the screen or if they do, they want you to speak with that Indian accent. And I was like, it's not really what has made me funny in my life. That accent, I can do that fucking accent and it's great. But what I imagine, the thing that's funny in my mind about me is my the speed of my wit and the things that I say, not that I say it in a funny accent. So I was like, I had this, I had this problem. Like, what would I, how would I, like, because, you know, I didn't want to be the guy uh, uh, in the mini mart selling Brad Pitt a pack of cigarettes before he goes to bang Angelina Jolie. I wanted to be the guy banging Angelina Jolie. Of course. So I was like, how do I get that job? And I'm like, Okay, so I said I better learn how to write um, movies because what I'll do is I'll write a six foot one uh, uh, American speaking Indian dude into the middle of the movie. And then I did that. And then I was like, well, what if the director casts somebody else in this fucking movie? Yeah. So I said, I better, I better. I better learn how to, I'm going to learn how to direct film so that I can force myself into this part. And that's what I did too. <laughs> and so as a result of the fact that there were no Indians on screen, I learned how to write movies and I learned how to direct movies. And now I've done nine or 10. I don't even know the number anymore. It's 10. You're, and it's uh, 150 episodes. 24 of episodes so of the Goldbergs. I mean, your work is incredible. Right. And I've been in so many things and it's yeah. because... Uh, it's because it's not necessarily because I'm the best actor in the world, uh, though I, I think I'm good. I, it's because I write these things and I cast myself and then I direct the movies. And, and, and I'm, I'm curious, were you, was this in Chicago before moving to New York or was this, this was while- in New York? Oh, this okay. was in New York. In New York in the 90s, was, we happened to be there during the uh, independent The mafia? Oh, OK. Explosion, sir. Right. Yeah. It was it was like. Miramax was in downtown uh, 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 New York, and Kevin Smith made a movie for 25, 30 grand. Eddie Robert Burns Rodriguez. First, yeah, yeah. Robert Rodriguez, Richard Linklater with Stillman. They were all making Se- movies. Steven like, Sex Lies and Videotapes, so, right? Yeah. And yeah. we were looking at all this. We were seeing every one of these movies, and we were looking at them going, you know. We've been entertaining crowds since we were 19 and we've been shooting short videos since yeah. we were 19. We are at a much more advanced level than any of these fucking dudes yeah. because not, they were all making their first films. Most of them were doing show business generally for the first time. We were way ahead of that. And so we said, yeah. let's, make a, let's make a movie that we can make, meaning a movie that we can raise the money for it's not going to be a sci-fi movie it's going to be a movie set at colgate where we went to school and we'll get colgate to let us shoot there and and that's what we did we made a film called puddle cruiser for about a hundred i tried so hard to, to get it i couldn't get my hands on oh, it yeah. but mine is we the own DVD. the rights yeah <laughs> we own the rights and we got to sell it to somebody yeah you got to distribute it because it's I, I was yeah. so interested and i was trying to find it on youtube but that's how did that experience go then, you know, to kind of return to, you know, the place where it all began and, and shoot this thing. Did you, do you feel well, good about it? 
before we got, did that, we, uh, I went to NYU film school for a summer. Uh, and you dropped and I out? To, no, it was, I was now graduated. I was in New York. Oh, okay. I was doing I went stand to up. We were, too. Uh, we were, we were, I was doing stand up. We were doing broken lizard shows. I took a summer class at NYU and I learned how to load a camera. I learned how to expose film. I learned how to cut film. Uh, I learned how to use a Nagra and record audio. I learned the, the scary part of it, the technical, how to light it, three point yeah. lighting, you know, none of it. I knew how to do that well, but I knew how to do it. Now I knew now I was like, it would de it demystified all of that for me. It made me go, okay. It's not magic. Like we, the problem, the big barrier for so many people when they're like, well, how, how do, what, are you, what are all those people doing? And what's what the machines and how does it work? And what, how, you know, like most people at that time, it's not like where you just turn your phone on and shoot a thing. Yeah. You, you, know, you couldn't do that, right? You, you had to load a camera. You had totally. to light it if you want. And the video quality of the video wasn't high enough to put it on, you know, it didn't look that great. So film was the game and but film was a mystery anyway i learned how to do that and one of the guys i uh went to school with he and i made a, a 30 minute uh film that was for his thesis and it was starred broken lizard uh we wrote it uh he directed it i co i directed the acting um and we learned how to make a movie together on this film it's called the tinfoil monkey agenda and it's like wag the dog. It's like uh, we shot it in Florida, 30 minute film. And we learned how to make a movie on that movie, like a film. On the, and so then when we made Puddle Cruiser, I directed it. I had some knowledge now. I did a little bit of like, you know, and we hired crew and we had a producer and and uh, and we shot this movie. And I, I was 25 and I'm like, Sort of like, I, I think this is the right shot to do. And I think that's the right shot to do. And I think yeah. this is the right thing. to. I didn't know. Right. It and there weren't monitors like a video village to, to read. There were little monitors. They were. Oh, OK. Big. Got it. And and so I was like, and I'm in it. Right. So yeah. I'm like directing yourself. Oh, man. I. But when we cut it together. Um, again, because we couldn't afford an editor, I did it. I learned how to be an editor. I've now edited nine films. I'm in the Editor's Guild because of the lack of money. Um, it, you know, uh, when we cut it together, it worked. Like, the everything flowed, and the jokes were rhythmic, and the movie worked. And it turned out that all the theories I had, I'm like, I think this is the way to go, and I think that's the shot. It turned out... I. Uh, whatever that that whatever that innate filmmaker talent was, I I seemed to have it, um, uh, and it was we were watching it and go, this is a real movie, this works, and then we got into Sundance and we showed it for huge crowds and it killed. Uh, we had a couple offers to, for distribution and we turned them both down because they they didn't give us any money. They just wanted the film. And they would give us money if it made profit, but we said nah. They were going to release it on five hundred screens. We said no. It was a mistake, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, you got into Sundance. We sold, we sold the movie and it, it home video and it made plenty of money um, for all the investors. Uh, and then there you go. And then we tried to make another movie, so, which was Super Troopers. 
And and where did the narrative impetus for that come? Like, had you done sketches about cops? Like, no. it's, just, it's so authentic to, you know, some, I mean, now there's no shortage of police procedurals and things like that, but like you really tapped into something before it was kind of exposed outside of, I guess, you know, what, what's that reality show? Well, police, cops. police Academy yeah. made, had existed before okay. we did, but I never saw, I've still never seen police Academy because I didn't like that the cop had his hat on sideways. I was like, it doesn't feel right to me. As a child, I was like, it doesn't look funny to me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know people love that fucking movie. I still haven't seen it because I'm like, tonally, as a child. I haven't seen like, it either. I'm not <laughs> going to watch it. Yeah, so I yeah. never watch it. So, but I knew of it, you know, obviously. And um, and so we, we um, you know, after Sundance, Harvey Weinstein hired us to write another movie for him. Uh, he wanted us to write a film. So we made a blind bill for a film. And we said, well, what should we make a movie about? <laughs> and he goes, I don't care. You can make a movie about a cat in space for all I care. Just make a funny movie. And so I, he, we were he like, believed in you guys. Like he was just making right. something. Wow. Okay. So we then came up with a pitch for Mickleberry Cat in Space. Uh, and took him literally. And we went and pitched the president of production, Jack Leshner. And we were like, here's the idea. The United States government is training cats um, to go into space. The Chinese government is in a space race and they see that we're training this cat. And they're like, so they kidnap the cat because they realize this is a very high functioning, intelligent space cat. And when they get it, they realize it's just a fucking cat. And so they release it back and we get Mickleberry back and we send the cat into space. And, and Jack Leshner's like, are you guys fucking with me? And we're like, we were like, nah. We're like, who are you in the, in the movie? We're like, well, we'll be the scientists and stuff. And he goes, you're fucking with me, right? And we're like, no, Harvey said to, he said we should do a. And this was cat. live action. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> he, said, he said we should do a cat in space thing. And he's like, no, no. He said, do whatever the hell you want to. You could throw a cat into space, not do a movie about cat in space. Come up with another idea, you dimwits. And so we were like, all right, well, fine, fine. And so then we ended up going to a wedding in Vermont on the, on the border, uh, in, uh, way, way up there. And um, on the way home, we were just like, we were looking at like, um, there was no, there's nothing going on up there. It's so yeah. desolate. And we were looking at this cop who'd pulled over these teenagers. And we were like, the funny thing about like teenagers back then is they were so, they were in a gang rap. And there was all these white kids are like talking tough. Like, yo, what's up with the police? Yeah. It was like I put, a, generation. I put a cap in that bitch's head. Like they were, <laughs> and then. And we were imagining that, and then the cop pulls him over, and how they turn into like totally scared pussies. Oh, uh, and we thought, oh, that's a funny dynamic for a sketch. And then we were like, and then he said, we said, you know what? What? What do these cops do all day? They have nothing to do up here. There's no crime. And we started to go, huh? I wonder if we could do a movie about cops in vermont where there's no crime and they pull over some stoned 
college kids. And that was the beginning. And we're like, and then what if they, well, there's no crime. So what if they just kind of fuck with the college kids and they fuck with other people? Hey, what if they do pranks? Hey, and then we just started writing sketches and stringing them together. And, you know, the, the, each, each pullover was its own sketch, which we were frankly, very good at doing. We were good at writing sketches. Uh, And so we, you know, we were really into weed at the time. So we're like, let's make it a weed plot. Like, you know, let's make it about smuggling weed. And we kind of built it from scratch. We just were like, I don't, we didn't know how to do it. There's a three act structure to every movie. We didn't know what that was. Um, And so we showed the movie to Harvey Weinstein, uh, the script. And he goes, (laughs) because my friends in production says it's hilarious, but uh, he goes, I never know what's funny. And uh, so I have no idea if this is funny. So uh, I'm not going to make it, but um, you can have it back. I could kill it because I could kill it. I could stick it on the shelf and not let you ever make it. But I like you guys. So good luck. You're on your own. Uh, And we were like, mercy from a guy who's not known for that. (laughs) No, we're not known for mercy. Yeah. Uh, And so he, he, uh, so then we're like, we went to October Films and went to every, we went to every single place in, in New York, and they were like, "Nah, with you guys, you guys are the stars." Nah, we're not doing it. Uh, and so then we, at this time, we moved to Los Angeles, and uh, we met um, a friend of ours was George Clooney's assistant, and she's like, "I'll have George read it." And so Clooney read it. He had a deal at Warner Brothers uh, yeah. with Soderbergh. Uh, and they were like, uh, well, Clooney is like, this is great. Let's make it. Um, uh, and Soderbergh was like, I'm not sure I get it. He goes, what if you had the guys wear President of the United States masks over their heads while they pulled people over? And I was like, ah. he goes, because I don't know if it's funny as it is. And I'm like, I said, it is funny as it is. Yeah. Because you know, like in Point Break, how they had those. Of course. Those yeah. That's, yeah. That's what he said. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. He goes, you could do a version of that. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. And Clooney's like, nah, don't worry about him. We're going to, you guys, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it made. And so we went around, went to Warner Brothers, and they said no. We went to, uh, uh, well, they said no. And he goes, ah, oh, shit, we can't get it done. Um, and so then um, the Fairley brothers, read it and they said okay we'll get fox to make it fox was like no not with these guys uh then um uh this guy bob simons who did some sandler movies was like universal make it they'll make it five million bucks but then he couldn't get enough money in the budget to pay himself so he was like sorry Ah, he'll fall apart then clooney sends it to um Danny DeVito's company, Michael Shamberg's Jersey Films. They're like, uh, we like these guys. Let's do a television show about Super Troopers. So then we go to John Langraff, who now runs FX, and we make a television pilot for Super Troopers. And this is before we know 911 even existed? Yeah. 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 It was set in Reno, our, our Super Troopers. No way. Set in, yeah. Jersey, so, tel- Jersey, Jersey television is also Reno and this, I just say, anyway, so, so um, all, uh, okay. That's all you had to say. Got it. So, um, so 
Landruff tries to get Fox to do it. They're like, nah, we don't know. We don't know. We don't think so. We're not doing it. So they pass on it. Now we're like, what the fuck? So then Clooney is, says to Danny DeVito and not even Danny DeVito, Michael Schamberg, who runs DeVito's company, he goes, come on, take a look, make this into a movie. And he goes, all right, fine. So Schamberg gets on. on so now we got Clooney and DeVito and Schamberg. They're our executive producers. And those studios are willing to give us the money. Yeah. And so we go to all the independent people. And every single, probably 50 of them all say no. One of them says, I'll give you the money if Ben Affleck can play the, the thorny character. Oh, and I was no. like, that's, um, that's my character. Yeah. Uh, and he goes, not in the, he goes, not in this picture, kid. Uh, and I was like, yeah. So we said no. And then I'm back in New York now packing up my office because I, I had an office there with Broken Lizard. And I'm closing it down and I'm like, Maybe we'll just fold up Broken Lizard and I'll go to L.A. and I'll try to be an actor and see what happens. Uh, and if that doesn't work out, I'll go to law school um, in three years. And my phone rings. It's my friend Cricket. And she's like, hey, uh, you're uh, the only guy I know who's kind of in show business. Uh, and my dad um, is an investment banker and he's retired. Uh, and he wrote a script and he wants somebody to read it. And I don't really know anybody else. So do you mind? And I'm like, yeah, okay. He said, would you talk to him? I'm like, yeah, sure. So he calls me and I'm like, Hey, and he goes, so I hear you're a writer. I'm like, yeah, I mean, we've written a couple scripts and he goes, well, before I send you mine, why don't you send me yours? And let me just see if, uh, you know, let me just taste a line. And I'm, and I'm like, I see we are auditioning me to read this script that I don't even want to read, but okay, fine. So I sent him the script for Super Troopers, and a week later, phone rings, and he goes, hey, Pete Lugel. I said, hey, he goes, pretty good script. And I'm like, okay, I mean, what do you know? Yeah. Uh, you're a fucking investment banker. Yeah. And he, goes, he goes, it's pretty funny. And I'm like, oh, thanks. He goes, what are you doing with it? Well, I said, well, I mean, we're raising money, but, you know. And he goes, can you make it for a million, too? And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, let's do it. And I was like, what? Oh and my so God. <laughs> I go into my producer's <laughs> office and I'm like, fucking guy on the phone says he's going to give us a million too. He goes, bullshit. And I'm like, yeah, he's an investment banker at this place. And he goes, oh, and my producer used to be an investment banker. He goes, I know that bank. And so he calls up a friend of his. He goes, what do you know about Pete Langell? He goes, oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. And he goes, yeah, he's one of the fucking partners. I mean, he's like a fucking real deal. Shit. He goes, let me get on the phone with him. And he gets on the phone with him. He goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Okay, great. And he goes, he says he's going to wire the money. And we had the money in a week. I mean, we had the money in a week. Oh, and, my um, God. Uh, uh, and then we went and made the fuck. We were the last lost? guy. In, uh, we made it in uh, in Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh, uh, love Poughkeepsie, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it, you know, it, 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 when we shot it, the thing about the opening scene was that everybody told us you can't open a movie on the wrong, on the not the lead characters. You have to open the movie on the lead characters. Yeah. Uh, 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 and the cops, they don't say anything. They barely say anything. They, they, you got to make the opening scene about the cops. And I'm like, well, it is sort of about the cops. I mean, yeah, it establishes kids, their, but, yeah. 
Yeah, but they're, the guy's like, no, but everyone's like, yeah, but the opening minute is just these fucking randos talking about bullshit, and you can't open a movie. It's just not how movies work. And we were like, ah, we're going to do it, though. So we did it, right? And when we did it, I remember we we ended up like the film, we showed it to some friends, and you know they were all like, yeah, it's really funny. Uh, uh, and we're like, I don't know. What do you know? We haven't been, we hadn't been able to show it for a crowd and right. we finished the film. We got in Sundance again, the finished the film the day before we went to uh, Utah and it was like final the morning, cut. the final print. We yeah, were okay. watching the final print and we were like, this was the morning we were going to the airport to fly to Utah and we're sitting in that, in that room at uh, do our film lab, me and Kevin and the color timer. And I'm like, watching that first scene, watching that first scene. And after the first scene, I'm like, stop the film. And I'm going to turn the lights on. And they turn the lights on. And I'm like, I look at Kevin. I'm like, that opening scene sucks. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's terrible. Everyone was right. You can't start a movie on these dumb fucking college kids. And what the hell was I doing? Fucking Clint Eastwood. I don't say a damn joke in the whole thing. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing funny about it. We're going to get killed in fucking Utah. And he goes, I like it. And I'm like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and then the color timer is like, I think it's pretty funny. I'm like, shut up, shut up. Roll the goddamn film. Yeah. And we just sat there in the dark watching it like, like it was an execution coming. And uh-huh. I watched the rest of the movie. And I'm like, I said, the rest of the movie's good, I guess. But that opening scene sucks. And so we fly to, we fly to Utah and now we're like, we got a midnight screening Thursday night and we're in a bar at like 11, 15 and we run into Harvey Weinstein. And I'm like, we're with Marisa Coughlin is in the movie. And she's like, I kind of know him. I'm like, get over there and tell him to fucking come to the movie. Yeah. And so she goes over to him. She goes, hey, Harvey, hey, we're super troopers. And he goes, hey, come on over. And so I go over there. I'm like, Harvey, you had the, you, you're the reason we wrote the movie. We made, you just said you didn't know if it's funny. It's funny. We made it. We're showing it in half an hour up the road. Come see it and buy the film. Be a great story. Yeah. And he goes, I can't, I can't come to the film. I got a, I got a meeting. Your, fil- your film starts at 12. I have a meeting at 1230. He goes, I can't, I can't. I said, well, come to the opening, go to the meeting, come back. He goes, if I leave your screening, don't you know? Don't you know anything? Your movie won't sell. Everyone will see me leaving. They'll be like, no one's buying it. And I'm like, well, we'll give you a seat in the back row. Come in, see it, and then you get out and come back. Yeah. And he goes, all right, fine. So we get to the screening. It is packed with stoned, and uh, it's midnight. Yeah. People are stoned, drunk, and excited. They remember our film Puddle Cruiser. Everyone's all revved up. And um, Harvey Weinstein comes in, sits in the back row. Everyone turns and looks at him and goes, holy fucking shit. And so the film starts. And I'm like, oh, God, this fucking scene. It's so terrible. And there's little titters of laughter. And it's building. And it's building. And suddenly there's fucking waves and waves of laughter. And I'm weeping from stress. And the film is rocking. I mean, first screening ever. And it's rocking. They're like ripping the seats out. It's so good. And then it 
30 minutes, I'm pacing around in the, in the lobby yeah. listening. And at 30 minutes, Harvey walks out. He goes, I'm coming right back. I'm coming. I'm going to be come right back. Don't sell this movie to anybody else. And he leaves and nobody saw me. Then with a half an hour to go, he comes right back in, sits down. Place is going ballistic. Uh, at the end of the me- at the end of the screening, it's like all these buyers are like, "Oh my god!" You know, Bidding it's all more. the young buyers. All, all yeah. the young buyers came, and they can't buy the movie because they're too young. And Harvey hasn't seen. He's like, "I got to see the whole movie. I can't just buy a movie. I haven't seen the whole movie." Uh, and so he comes up to me and he goes, "Send me the print." And I'm like, "We're not sending you the print. You have to look at the movie with the crowd, and then you decide whether you're going to buy it or not." And he goes, oh, fucking pain in the ass. He goes, all right, well, meet me at this bar now. Uh, I'm going to do you guys a favor. Meet me at the bar we were at. Uh, and then tomorrow, everyone's going to see I'm with you. And this movie's going to sell. And also, you're going to be on page six tomorrow. You're welcome. And so we meet, you know, he leaves. All the other buyers come up and they're like, don't sell it to Harvey. Please don't sell it to Harvey. Please don't sell it to Harvey. We're going to get our bosses to watch. We go to the bar. Next day, we're in page six, uh, uh, which is like the gossip. Yeah, the New York. And everyone's like, holy fucking shit. Harvey Weinstein with these super troopers people. And uh, all the buyers are like, don't sell it to Harvey. And we we have another midnight screening on Friday and another one on Saturday. And and by Sunday night, Fox Searchlights made an offer that, you know, was three times the budget. And they said... You know, you have to make you have to agree to it before the midnight screening on Sunday or the deal's off. And so we did. Um, and uh, and then there you go. You know, it, it made it made for one point two. It made 20 in the theaters and uh, 90 on home video. Yeah, I was going to say that thing took off like wildfire when it came out. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we were lucky that DVDs were for sale at the time and people bought them. So there's a lot of money that was in the system then. It's it's funny you you articulated the viewing because that was my theater when I saw it. You know, I, I remembered so clearly. So how did that feel? You know, and also how are you for time? Because I want to get to the other stuff. I don't want to take up all. You know. Well, I mean, we could have another. We could do it again. I, 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 I I'd I love do. to if you're okay with that. You know, I I'm I, okay I, doing it again. Right, I'm back. What's up, Jay? How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So we were talking about, you know, Super Troopers and, and, and the success of the DVD sales. And so I'm so curious, you know, because you went on this incredible ride of getting it made and all the crazy channels upon which it all came together. And also you spoke earlier about, you know, representation and, and it being the doctor, maybe an ER, things like that. How did things change for you, both as a director and as an actor, after the movie came out? Um, well, you know, Hollywood uh, talks a lot about, uh, and they always have, not always, but at the time, you know, they talk about diversity. Yeah. Uh, but the truth about diversity is, you know, you need writers um, from different backgrounds in order to get the true picture of what the country looks like. And it doesn't mean 
that because I'm Indian, I have to write a story about Indians. Yeah. This means that I could write a, a character that was Indian that had this voice, but still had that perspective of being whatever, brown, yeah. right? Which isn't a perspective of victimhood. It's not, oh, my life's so hard. It's just, you know, it's just like I, 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 I have made jokes about my my friends and I have made jokes about race you know without being directly mean our whole lives yeah people make jokes about they make Indian jokes and you know like I don't make a ton of racial jokes to be honest with you but I don't mind when people make Indian jokes sometimes sometimes if they're good ones I don't care Especially so, like doing stand up, I'm sure, you know. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. But the but the point, the question is really like, how did it change? So it didn't really change a great deal for a long time. I had to go and make several more movies before people said, you know, I guess he could play anything. And you and know, like it 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 I I I said this before. I don't know if I said this to you, but like we're all waiting for if you're waiting for Hollywood to go, oh, that guy, let's put yeah. him in a bunch of stuff. It's never going to happen. Don't I know? Right. It's not that it's never going to happen. It's just at the time it was never going to happen. Yeah. After me. And, and I, I I jokingly, not jokingly, call myself the Indian Jackie Robinson of uh, American comedy. Yeah. Uh, because. After me, you know, Aziz came and, and Asif Manvi, you know, Asif. yeah, they all came. And, and yeah. a lot of them said to me, thank you. Thank you for, for pushing that door open. Yeah. Um, but they do get hired. I mean, and, and by the way, all of them are writers. They're all, they're all very smart about making sure they write their own opportunities, but you know, some of them get, get cast in, in yeah. stuff now. And and it's great, but it wasn't like that really for me. Now I get, I get offers for things uh, which I mostly turn down because I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to say that. Yeah. You know, like once you get the opportunity or create the opportunity to say the lines that you, to write the lines you say on screen, it becomes a little harder to just jump into somebody's thing unless it's good writing. I, you know, I, 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 there was a. My friend um, uh, Natalie uh, uh, Morales did a did a, uh, a movie, uh, and I played a pharmacist who didn't want to give this Indian girl uh, the Plan B uh, abortion pill. Wow, very relevant, it, yeah. But it was it's a funny comedy, and they yeah. wrote it, they wrote it really well. It was the guys who wrote um, uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Oh, love that! They're great. They're great yeah. writers, and so I I did that, and and it was fun, right? But I mean, it's. It's got to, you don't want to be in a movie uh, when you're me, at least, where, where you're like, eh, I just, eh, I don't know. It was okay. <laughs> I don't really want to do that. Yeah. I want everybody to watch everything I do and go, oh, at least go, that was pretty good. Yeah. So, um, which you're, you're very celebrated for, you know, I mean, and, and you wear three different hats. You got the writing, the directing, and the acting. Was it always the editing? And the editing, was it always imperative for you walking away from, you know, the impossible boulder up the hill of Super Troopers to keep doing it? Or did you ever just want to, like, 
settle into one or was it always like, I, I, I want to do it all? I have this uh, mentality that is, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a fear that they're going to stop me from doing one of them. And so I figured if I can do all four of them, if they don't let me act for a little bit, then I can write. If I don't let me write, I can direct. If they don't let me direct, I can edit. So nobody's trying to kick me out of show business, even though I'm convinced they, they are. Uh, but, but it's the mentality that, that gets me going. Now, the reality of making movies is all those four jobs are, are, are critical to to telling the joke the way you want to tell it. If I think of a joke in a movie and I, I need to write it and write it in the right rhythm, I need to shoot it and photograph it the right way with the right lens at the right angle or the, with the right person in it. And then I need to edit it so that I choose the right take. You know, of course I need to act in it so I can say it exactly the way I want it said. Or if someone else is going to say it, I got to help them. You know, I hire great people, so they usually know how to say it, or they have a better way to say it. But, but if I'm, if they don't, I'll tell them how to say it. So it's it's a it's a control thing. You know, it's like a, you know, the 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 film directors are uh, obsessive compulsives. Like we're we're trying to control all of the things you see in the frame. Yeah. And by 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 writing, directing, acting and editing, you get to do that. <laughs> uh, Stamina wise, I don't know how you do it. You know, I'm, I'm so impressed by your your ability to, to be able to. I mean, you're a master at that. Well, no, I mean, look, once you shoot something, right. Like once you write something. Yeah, but that's that's the hardest thing in the world. I mean, you're creating something out of nothing it, and you it, you've done that successfully. I mean, over dozens of times now, and I'm just so blown away by your talent. I, I, I appreciate that. But I mean, like, I'm just saying, once you write something, let's say you write something. Yeah. Now it's just sitting there and you're like, if, if only people could see it, they would, they would know, right? And so then you have to shoot it. You have to get a shot. And then once you shoot it, you're like, well, you have to edit it, right? I mean, it's just this thing that roles you just gotta you gotta you got you know otherwise what's the point in, in thinking of the joke nobody yeah. ever heard it that's so yeah i mean you're making me feel like i really gotta step my game up but I, i'm glad to hear it and and um I'm, I'm curious then so you know obviously given the broken lizard thing it, you know the tribe was it imperative that you guys stuck together because i know you did beer fest club dread amongst many others you know like was that what you guys wanted to keep you know with with all your friends that you know you, you mentioned earlier that kevin hefferman was kind of reluctant and then this thing became the funniest i mean especially you said dvd sales but you know it took off like wildfire at least in my we're, you know, you know we're uh, we're better. Uh, we're all, we're all perfectly funny, good, uh, people, uh, performers individually, but there's a thing, uh, about our chemistry and our connection and our comedy together that elevates, uh, what we do now. Now, you know, magic happens when Broken Lizard gets together and writes these things. Magic. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's because we're so relaxed with each other and so willing to say things that probably don't work, but somebody can fix it and go, well, that's a pretty good idea, but this would be better. Oh, that's great. And, this, and it just goes and goes and goes. Now, the reality of these movies is they're weird. They're weirdly structured. There are five leads sometimes. And you're yeah. like, they're not normal movies, right? So, so uh, uh, while it is a blast to write and direct, it is not always the most fun to act because you don't have, you have five guys in the scene. You don't have a whole scene for yourself. And so it's, but the end result is, is, you know, it's, it, it, we we're creating things that we we're really proud of and we think are good. And, and, you know, so far people seem to like them. So yeah, we love them. So uh, we'll keep doing them. We all, all are trying You look like this guys, Kevin uh, Heffernan, by the way, and Steve Sorry. Lemmy yeah. um, uh, and Paul Soder are, are all doing this Tacoma FD and they have meteor scenes where they can act and yeah. say most of the lines, so, you know, like that is making them happy. I know it. Uh, and, and there, and it's a good show. So uh, we're all trying to do that too, but but we keep getting together. They keep asking us to make more movies as Broken Lizard. So who am I to say now? Yeah, and and Hassie Harrison's a friend, and and she's on that show, and uh, oh yeah, they're incredible. And and so then I'm curious for you. You know, we we have to touch upon the episodic. You know, when did that? You know, was that something you were always interested in? You know, directing ep episodes of television, or did that kind of just how did that? I I uh, made a film. First film is called Puddle Cruiser about college right. at Colgate University, and then NBC saw that at Sundance, and uh, we and asked us to star in and 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 make a pilot for them. Um, and we thought, you know, we're we're twenty five, twenty six. We shouldn't be in a college show because if it succeeds, we'll be thirty two by the time we're supposed to be twenty two. And we thought, ah, let's let's hire some other people to be in it. Yeah. Uh, and so we wrote it and we cast it. We were so stupid. We just said no to NBC starring in the show. <laughs> and um, they still almost put it on the air. I mean, they came really close. I was in the president of NBC's office at like wow. 25. And he goes, I don't know. He goes, what am I going to do? Turn $50 million over to you to do a whole season? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I don't know. Oh don't know. my god! And uh, he was probably right. Yeah, uh, and we probably should have been in it, right? Maybe yeah. if we had been in it, it, probably would have been uh, different. Yeah. Uh, that said, uh, it died. It was it was passed on. It never went anywhere. Two years and, later, and no pilot was shot. Or well, we shot the pilot. Oh wow! Okay. I mean, there was a youth quake at NBC that was like, we have to put this on. Didn't happen. Uh. But. Um, uh, two years later, I got a call and said, this guy, Judd Apatow wants to see you. And I'm like, well, holy shit, Judd Apatow. I was a fan because, uh, I was, I think Larry Sanders show was the greatest show of all time. Uh, comedy. And so I, I ended up, uh, going down to his set. It's called North Hollywood. And I met him and he goes, you know, I saw this pilot you did called safety school. And I was like, yeah, he goes, fucking great. Should have put it on. Yeah. NBC fucked up. And he goes, but since I didn't put it on, I made my version of it. It's called Undeclared. And he goes, do you want to direct? And I said, yeah, sure. So I directed four of those. Uh, and, and uh, you know, then Fox 
uh, was, you know, they liked the work I did, I guess. And so they, they said, Hey, we come do this show arrested development. So I did, you know, and I was in, in early on that show, like in the, yeah, remember you first, did like four episodes, right? Yeah. But I did yeah. them in the early episodes. So it was, I was got to be part of sort of shaping the rhythm of that show. And the, you know, the Russo brothers did this great pilot, which they won an Emmy for, but then we kind of slowed it down a little and we just did some different things. Um, those guys are incredible. The Russo brothers. Uh, but, but the, um, you know, we, we, I was able to, it's fun to be part of a show when you're early. Yeah. Cause you're like, you know, you could shoot it this way. Or you could shoot it from, you know, you could shoot these lenses instead. And we, you know, it wasn't like I was like the inventor of the look of, I, mean, I wasn't, I just got to be creatively involved early. That's all I'm saying. Which, um, which is, and temp, temporally, usually a show sticks to, you know, whatever the pilot is visually and aesthetically, yeah. you yeah. know, the pilot for that show was, uh, was cut more quickly than the show ended up this show settled into a more uh, 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 into a rhythm with fewer cuts mm. and, uh, uh, and it, it kind of settled into its own comedy rhythm in a, in a different way than I think the pilot uh, presented. Um, of course they won an Emmy for that pilot. I'm yeah. not going to see you now, but, 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 but it was just like, it was more of a let the actors create the rhythm thing is what the show eventually became, I thought. Uh, and so um, I got ants. Motherfucking ants. Oh. Um, I hate to kill animals, but you know, yeah. when they crawl on me, I'm like, that's enough, guys. Yeah, same. Dealing with rats in New I, York City. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, anyway, so once I did that, then, you know, then, then you're like, you know, Fox was like, well, that guy seems to get our comedy. So they just put me on all, a new girl and, you know, and then somehow I jumped over to community and, happy endings. And then I was over at ABC for a while. And I mean, I've been at all these networks yeah. and they just kind of, you know, use you over and over and over again, if they like what you do. I mean, you've done like, was it 25 episodes of the Goldbergs? I don't know the number of it, but it's something like that. I think yeah. that number, I think I've directed the second most, uh, after, uh, uh, yeah, this, this good friend of mine, Lou Schneider, uh, oh, okay. uh, uh and, and then, uh, David Katzenberg is, is the other guy who's directed a lot. And I, I apologize for interrupting, but I'm curious, you know, do you enjoy that process, particularly when it's not something you wrote or you had, you know, I love it. You do. Wow. Well, it's like the, the, there's a person who they, they wrote a script and you examine it and you go, okay, I got that joke. I see why you're doing there. Okay, great, 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 great. And you're like, oh, I could, we could, we could, when we shoot it, we'll do an alt and do this joke instead. We'll shoot the joke you wrote, but okay. And, oh, we could do a little runner on this. And you just kind of go. And you just go, okay, I'm going to take what you wrote, make it great, hand it to you. And and you need to pat me on the head when it's done. Tell me you like it. Or not. I mean, (laughs) but I'd like to know if they like it. Yeah, (laughs) we're artists. We like feedback. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. And then I'm curious then, you know, while it sounds like this kind of whirlwind of episodics happened creatively, how are you able to maintain, you know, writing broken lizard, directing features, you know, like, was it, I mean, I just, I'm so impressed by the stamina. I can't say that enough. It's what I do for a living. Yeah. Like, you know, like I don't have a day job. This is my day job. So this is what I do. Like, this is what they, they send me checks to do. They're like, do this for us. 
Um, and so, you know, it's, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a novel here. I'm almost done with it. I'm going to finish it probably tomorrow. Um, I mean, I'm just the ninth draft of it, but and, and there are ants crawling all over it. Oh man. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you have to compartmentalize. And then once you get within the end game on something, like I'm going to finish this novel tomorrow, then you got to kill it. You got to pounce on it and murder it and kill it and then send it off. Wow. You know, you can't, you know, having too many projects that are open-ended is, is a problem. Yeah. You know, like I, as soon as this novel's finished, I'm going to be like, oh, finally, I can go write that golf movie I want to write. Yeah. That's incredible. And, and I'm so proud and, and, and blown away at, at your ability to be able to do that. At what point then do things start to, you know, you mentioned Super Troopers, there was a delayed thing from the studios. When did the interest start to garner for, you know, other studios, if not Fox? Well, like, no, we, I mean, after after Super Troopers, uh, Fox Searchlight made Club Dread with us. Um, that bombed theatrically, uh, but it has made a lot of money for them um, yeah. on home video. Uh, and then we were in the woods for a little bit. And then uh, Warner Brothers called me and asked if I would make... Uh, Dukes of Hazard. Wow. And I, I said, with Knoxville, no. right? Yeah. I said, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not making that movie. And they were like, well, we want it to feel like Super Troopers. I'm like, yeah, I love Dukes of Hazard, but I'm not making the movie. Uh, and what so, was the reason, if you don't mind sharing? I didn't like the script. Okay. Uh, and so three months later, they sent me a new script and they doubled the offer. Uh, and I was like, nah, nah, I don't really like it. Uh, and three months later, they sent me a new script and they doubled it again. And I said, so what's going to happen? You're just going to, you, you're just going to keep doubling it. They're like, we have more money than you have the will to say no. And I said, you're right. Okay. So I said, if I can take this whole thing and throw it out and yeah. rewrite it with broken lizard, I'll do it. And they said, great. So then I said, I got one condition. We got to hire Burt Reynolds and Willie Nelson. And the guy goes, to play the Duke boys? And I said, no, no, but I would see that movie. <laughs> uh, Me too. Uh, I was like, where's that draft? <laughs> uh, and then, you know, yeah. and then I, you know, we kind of went through it and I tried to get as many Southerners, real Southerners in the movie as possible. And Sean William Scott is from the North, but, uh, yeah. you know, Knoxville, Willie Nelson, Burt Reynolds, Jessica, Jessica Simpson, Simpson yeah. you know, Dave Keckner, and yeah, you know, put them all oh, in God. there. Yeah. And, uh, and I was happy. Would I mean, you I say really, I'm happy with how it turned out. I love it. Was that your first foray into a major studio film? Major studio. Yeah. I mean, you know, Club Dread was a major studio. It was, a, it was an independent studio, I yeah. suppose. But it's a, it's a Fox. It's on the Fox lot, you know? Like, it was the club. But Warner Brothers was the first time, you know, that was a $55 million movie. That was, uh, we had 25 General Lees. We, we bought the, we bought 50 cop cars from the, Batman movie, Chris Nolan's wow. movie, and then trashed every one of them. When none of them were working, we, I mean, they were just done. Oh, dummy cars, got it. No, we, they were real cars. We just oh, crashed wow. them. We crashed them and crashed them and crashed them. Uh, and we had a 24 hour garage working. And at and the daytime, we'd, we'd dent up and crash up the General Lees. And at night, we'd fix them up and roll them back out again the next day and put them back in the stunt machine. Wow. I think they're still on the Warner Brothers lot because I've seen it before. We got we we, yeah. we left we left New Orleans, Louisiana with two 
two wow. working general leases. They offered me one of them. And I was like, you know, guys, I live in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think I can drive this car around. I just don't think it'll I don't think it'll work. And they were like, OK, so I, I took a, a smashed up General Lee door, which I, I hang on my office. I love it's that. In, it's in storage, but I have it in my office. For, for those, you know, there's obviously the Confederate flag on it. So, flag yeah. on <laughs> but I guess Trump, you know, that motherfucker. Uh, I won't even get in that. But uh, so, so then, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier this beautiful moment of being an extra on the set with, you know, Tom Cruise and Paul Newman and wanting to be in these conversations. Was there ever a moment in, in your life where it finally hit you like, holy shit, I'm, I'm here? Yes, uh, I, I did have that realization. Um, uh, it was, you know, it's, it's, it, you feel it every, I still feel it. Like, I'm, you know, when I'm in a, in, a, in a private conversation with Johnny Knoxville on the set of Dukes of Hazard and Sean William Scott and Willie Nelson, and we're laughing our asses off about some bullshit joke that one of us made, I'm like, I'm in it. Here I am. Yeah. I'm writing this fucking conversation. And, and you know, we're not even talking about the movie, but we're just having a great time. Uh, and sometimes you are talking about the movie, but it's like, it's, uh, uh, I'm really appreciative of the fact that I got to do that. I get yeah. to do that. And I take it then that was how the Jackass 2 thing happened. Yeah. Because you guys had worked together, obviously, that That's segment. Right. That's, That's right. That's incredible. That was uh, quite a gift to be able to be in Jackass uh, in the one of those movies. That was like, that's special to me. Do you mind? I mean, I, I love them, and I did no disrespect, but I'm I'm so curious. What what about that? Well, you know, I was in Super Troopers, right? And yeah. that's special. Like that's yeah. a thing you get to be in. It's like somebody who was in Caddyshack or Animal House. Like I'm in Super Troopers, right? So yeah. to get to be in someone else's thing without any effort, but yeah. just did my thing. But to be in the something that is iconic as Jackass, I mean, what a gift, right? Yeah. I mean, what a gift. The what best sketch of, of arguably all the films, you know? You know, the, I, you know I, I've heard Knoxville say that. And I I, 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 I beg to differ because I, I, I love so many of their things. But yeah, true. But uh, they're the, if they, they, if they, you know, I think what, what was so exciting to them was it was like a long form con and everybody yeah. was in it. And it I was really like, was. It, it felt like you were in the sting. And, and so in that sense, you know, there, there was like a lot of thought that went into it. Yeah. And there were cops and there were, you know, there were all sorts of shit that went on. So I guess, you know, I'm just great. If, if they, you know, whoever says their favorite, that's great. It's favorite. my favorite, hands oh, down. I yeah. Yeah. I like when the guy goes into the, in the toilet um, uh, shop and takes a dump in it. Uh, oh man, and, Dave and he's England. Reading, reading, yeah. He's reading the fucking newspaper. You're like that. You're like, wow. oh God, man. Yeah. Be hard to pull off in today's world, but, or maybe not. I don't know. No, those, go guys, either way. those guys will do it. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious then for you, you know, obviously like some time had gone by, you know, I'm, we're kind of moving along. You've done episodics, beer fest happened. Cause I, I, I'm doing this purely to get to Easter Sunday. So you, you've done all this incredible work and, and just because of time, you know, I, I would love to have you back one day, you know, and we can dig into the, uh, to the middle parts because I'm, I'm moving in 
a quite big chunk here, but to get to something like Easter Sunday and something that's so specific culturally honors it, you know, and is so, you know, comedy driven with so many different legends, Tiatarella, Joe Coy, you know, was that something that was always on your mind? Did Joe come to you? Did you go to Joe? You know, like during the pandemic, uh, Steven Spielberg watched a Netflix special with Joe Coy in it. And he said, we got to make a movie with that guy. So the head of production called me and said, what do you know? What do you know about Joe Coy? And I said, I love him. And he says, do you want to make his first movie? I said, yeah. So I went up to Vancouver. We had a script there. Uh, I, I hired a friend of mine, Kate Angelo, to come in and rewrite the whole thing. We rewrote it sort of based on, I mean, the original script had some elements of Joe's life in it for sure. And some of his stand-up in it as well. And we kind of rewrote it, made it much more of a pure comedy uh, and, uh, and, and, and plucked some of the great things from his stand-up routine and put them in and sort of brought them to life. And the movie, uh, you know, the goal for us was to try to make a really funny movie that happened to have Filipinos and Filipino Americans in it. It's an American comedy. It is. Which is reflective of the reality of the country. Right. So there are all sorts of pockets of different people in this country. And it's just a movie that is funny on its own with these people. in it. So, and to me, that is what diversity should be. Make a, yeah. like a commercially funny movie and just put different people in it. Totally. <laughs> you know, like it's not a movie about the Filipino struggle. No. And, and, no. and, and, it, and it, it, it becomes so much more real for just like, this isn't a, a truthful, you know, like a literal holiday, but like, a, you know, just moments of this guy's life, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and so you did that with Steven and this is before the pandemic or. Uh, well, I shot it uh, during the pandemic okay. um, in Vancouver. And then, uh, and then, you know, the film is in theaters now. So, yeah. you're, you know, if you want to see it, go, you can go see it. Um, and. Uh, By Universal. You know, Universal Pictures. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're excited. Uh, and I'll tell you the other thing I did um, during the pandemic is uh, you know, years ago when when Super Troopers came out in the theater, it it uh, you know we were the toast of Sundance, right? But then we comes out of the theater and the and the reviewers gave it a thirty six percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I was like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. But uh, the reviewer who reviewed it for the New York Times also didn't like The Hangover years later, and I'm like, well, maybe you don't like R rated movies, yeah. Uh, and you know, they they tee off on comedies, you know, and. And I think the problem is they're not movies they wanted to see, right? They're just assigned them or they decide, okay, I'll review With this. With their comedy. MFAs and, and I'll brain crash it yeah. because the, the meaner I am, the better, more review uh, followers I'll get. And that's just not, it just didn't sit right with me. I'm like, really, reviewers are just strangers, right? They're just strangers. Strangers with good jobs writing about movies. And I'm like, when's the last time you walked up to a stranger and said, hey, what movie should I see? Like, it's just not. It's not what we do, right? Yeah. You talk to your friends and your family and your buddies and whatever. And Rotten Tomatoes, which is named for throwing rotten fruit at people like me, um, is 90 strangers, all aggregated opinions. I'm like, who walks up to 90 strangers and said, hey, should I see this movie or this movie? Or who cares, you know? Nobody like, cares, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying there aren't good reviewers. Of course there are. Yeah. Uh, but, but 
I don't know them. I don't know if they went to college. I don't know if they smoke weed. I don't know if they like R-rated movies. I don't know any of it, right? So I decided uh, to build a machine to, to eventually supplant Rotten Tomatoes. And I, and I started sketching out an app. And the app uh, is called Vouch Vault. And it's on the App Store now, and it's in the Android Store. And me and these two guys, Eli and uh, Eric, we built this machine and it's basically the Instagram of recommendations. And so if you go to Vouch Vault and you follow me, Jay Chandrasekhar, you'll see that I like Reservoir Dogs. You'll see that I like uh, the Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed. You'll see that I like the Beatles, White Album. You'll see that I like uh, Teru Sushi in Studio City, that I like the Tesla car, these golf clubs. Anything you like, you put it in there. You vouch for it. Yeah. And you end up. What we're going to try to do is create a, you know, we have millions of people on there. We'll be like, okay, we'll have screenings for the Vouch Vault people. And so when the reviews come out, there'll be a Vouch Vault score and people will be like, ah, these friends of mine have seen this movie. Right. And, you know, that's who you want to know. Like if, if you follow me and I tell you these 10 great movies you got to see, you'd be like, well, he's made some movies and I trust him. I'm going to see these movies. Curated or, by people you respect. Yeah. If your best yeah. friend and yeah. you and a couple other friends get on it, you're like, Hey, we like this movie and I love this TV show. And this, you know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's got a list in it. So if you, if you, if I've recommended something to you and or on my thing and you haven't seen it yet, you click a ribbon and it goes into your tri vault. Right. Yeah. And so later on Friday night, you're like, what should we watch? You're like, Oh, I'll, I'll look in my tri vault and you'll see, oh, Barry, I haven't seen that yet. Jay said it was good. Boom. You're watching it. So it's, 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 I'm trying to change the way uh, we sort of take in movies, particularly comedies and horror movies, because they get just smashed. I'm trying to change that dynamic. And so I, I built this machine. And that's so beautiful. And I love that. And I've heard rumors that it might expand to restaurants and, and oh, food yeah, as well. Restaurants yeah. already. It's already got restaurants. It's wow. already got books. It's got podcasts. Anything you like, it's all right in there. Seal. Fault. You know, the, the, uh, the singer Seal just signed up. No way. It's fucking cool. I'm going to get right on it. Vouch Fault and Easter Sunday. Yeah. Jay, thank you thank so you. much from the bottom of my heart. This has meant the world. It. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, you know, Things got a little crazy, but uh, I really appreciate it. You're a true artist, and, and I look up to you so much, and thank you for inspiring and giving back. I ask everyone the same final question, and if you don't mind answering it, it's quick, but I know it's a hard one. For all the artists struggling now coming out of a pandemic and feeling, you know, like they have no idea how to, how to, how to start, you know, what, what would you say, if anything? Well, you know, the, the reality is, is we're trying to make, we're really just apes, right? And we're trying to make other apes feel, laugh, cry, whatever. The thing that makes you, the, you're, you, the ape, laugh and cry are the things that make other apes laugh and cry. So stick to that. Think about what it is that makes you laugh and then see as you write it down, how you can communicate it to the other people and be simple with it. You know, like if it makes you laugh, it's going to make somebody else laugh, probably, unless you're a total weirdo. You know, if it makes you feel, it's probably going to make other people feel. I mean, there's nothing, you know, that, that, that's simple advice. But the, the other thing to do is you got to make stuff. Yeah. Like just 
you just thinking about it or just, oh, I should do that. Uh, okay. Well, while you think about it and don't do it, I'll be doing it. Yeah. And you'll be reacting to my stuff instead of me reacting to your stuff. That it's is not easy. It's not an easy fucking business, but the, the, the big barrier most people have is that they don't do it. Yeah. And there's no excuse now with the cameras and the, and the mics and it's all out there. It's all right there for you. I could not agree more. And thank you for that wisdom. You know, I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on. I would love to do this again one time where we can flesh out the middle because you're so prolific and I have so much respect for you and gratitude for your time. On and the next movie. Next movie, let's do it. Vouchful. Which, uh, is quasi and it's coming out probably in the springtime uh, oh, on, awesome. on Hulu. On Hulu. Amazing. It's, uh, a broken lizard movie set in 13th century France. I play the king of France. Paul Soder plays the Pope. Steve Lemmy plays the hunchback. I cannot wait. That sounds divine. And, like a, and it sounds like a like, Python movie. And, and this is, uh, you're about to embark on a golf movie as well. That's the next thing you said. I got to write it. <laughs> well, congratulations on the novel. Thank, thank you. you for your time. Thank you for giving back. And I, I would love to see you in the spring. Okay. Great. Thank you. All right. Bye now. All right. Bye. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.